Nation. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstra. President Trump is blaming the Obama administration for failing to stop a dozen Russians from meddling in American politics. Reacting to the Justice Department indictment of 12 Russian military intelligence officers, the president writes on Twitter that the stories of those 12 Russians took place during the Obama administration, not the Trump administration. He asks, why didn't they do something about it, especially when it was reported that President Obama was informed by the FBI before the election? The White House also is emphasizing that there are no allegations of knowing involvement by anyone on the Trump campaign or that the hacking into Democratic Party computers affected the outcome of the 2016 election. Greg Clugston, Washington. Scottish police are looking for the paraglider who managed to fly into airspace over the golf resort where President Trump was staying and fly a protest banner. This is SRN News. Eric Metaxas can't understand people sometimes. To, to reboot this show and to have an honest conversation and to give, to give the point of view of the half of America maybe who voted for Trump. And, you know, it was just a wonderful thing. And, and, and it all goes down in flames because of one tweet that actually does cross a line. The Eric Metaxas Show, overnights at 3 on AM 1280, The Patriot, Intelligent Radio. AM 1280, The Patriot, Intelligent Radio for the Twin Cities, just after 2 o'clock. More of Mitch Berg and the Narn in just moments. Don't forget, like us on Facebook. It's a great way for you to stay up to date on what's happening here at The Patriot, perhaps even win some prizes from time to time. For the day today, sunny, a daytime high of right around 87. Tonight, clear in 67. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a daytime high of right around 86. A small chance of showers and thunderstorms. This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, the longest-running conservative talk show in the Twin Cities. It's great to be back in Minnesota today. Political analysis of the good, the bad, and the outright crazy. Now, here's your headline act, Mitch Berg. Welcome back, Twin Cities and World. It's the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriots. Making talk radio great again. My name, Mitch Berg. My blog, shotinthedark.info. I'm also found on the web at True North. That's looktruenorth.com, the official center for center-right political thinking in the upper Midwest. I am the headliner edition of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Brad Carlson, of course, the closer, coming up tomorrow from 1. That's 1. You heard me right, 1 till 3. He got his first hour back, and he's putting it to good use. He's got two hours, and he knows how to use them. Also, our good friend King Banyan, every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 on our sister station, AM 1440. The businessmen, together with the Northern Alliance Radio Network, uh, dominating Twin Cities weekend radio for half a generation now and going for a full generation as we keep up here. Pretty much, yeah, we're going to start having parents, kids, and grandkids listening to the show together before too terribly long here. Uh, so stay tuned for that. So if you're a regular listener to this broadcast, you know that uh, we have uh, a dartboard with Michael Bloomberg in the corner. And we throw darts at him on the regular over his, largely on his stances on firearms, the Second Amendment, and the law-abiding gun owner. He's not one of the good guys. He's one of the people who is, in fact, coming to take your guns when the political situation allows it. And he's working hard to make sure the situation eventually does allow it, putting a lot of money where his whiny little mouth is. So after a hard day 
of fighting against the power that is Michael Bloomberg and his inherited billions, you might think you want to relax after a difficult day by pouring yourself a tall, sugary beverage to relax. And no doubt, Michael Bloomberg will be there to mess with that as well. And here to talk about this, Michael Bloomberg's other uh, assault on freedom uh, from the American Commitment, Phil Kirpin joins us. Phil, welcome back to the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Hey, Mitch. Great to be with you. Uh, it's great to have you again. Uh, we're 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 looking this week uh, at f- former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, uh, the scion of the Bloomberg uh, fortune and media empire, uh, turning his sights briefly away from the Second Amendment and the law-abiding Americans' right to keep and bear arms to the Americans' right to drink pop. Uh, he's he's carrying on the he's crusade. Very concerned about that, yes. It's 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 very a, strongly opposed. He's it, spending millions and millions to make sure that you can't afford a soda. That's it's right. Now, what what turned him against pop? I mean, what what's what's the genesis of it? I mean, this was his his big one of his big uh, crusades when he was mayor of New York was to implement a soda tax to get New Yorkers to put down the big gulp. What uh, what, what what's behind this? What what led him to this? Yeah, he also tried to ban, uh, you know, everyone was calling it a large soda ban. It was actually more like a medium because it was like, I think, anything over 16 ounces he tried to ban. And uh, uh, that actually got struck down in court. He did that through his health department and ended up getting struck down in court. So that's not an effect. But, you know, it's uh, it's one of these things where, you know, the, and by the way, to me, the most astonishing thing about his whole time as mayor is that somehow he got the Republican nomination, not once, not twice, but three times. That's right. By, by the third term, you would think they would have enough decency not to give him the ballot line, but no. He had already quit the party at that point, and they gave him the ballot line again anyway. So, <laughs> I, anyway, go figure. And so it tells you a lot about New York Republicans, of which I, you know, I was one. I grew up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, they leave. is what they do. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can't, I'm a Republican in St. Paul, which is basically like New York, but smaller. <laughs> yeah, a little bit smaller. Same idea, though. Uh, you know, look, I mean, I think the mentality is people don't know what's good for them. Uh, if we let them make their own decisions, they'll make the decisions we don't want. And therefore, uh, for their own good, we're going to control people's decisions by taxing uh, taxing. The products we don't want them to buy to the point that it's prohibitive. And uh, Bloomberg, you've got to give him credit for this compared to a lot of other liberals, is he's pretty clear about exactly what he's doing. And he basically explains it the same way I just did. And there's this video of him. Uh, Drudge had it up about a month ago. It's, it's easy to find. You type it on Google. It was, it was uh, Bloomberg at the IMF spring meetings. And he's on the stage with Christine Lagarde, the president of the International Monetary Fund. And, he's ex- and, and she asks him, she says, well, these soda taxes you're pushing, aren't they regressive? Don't they hit lower-income people the hardest? And Bloomberg says, yes, they're regressive, and that's a good thing. That's the whole point. We need to tax the poor people because they won't be able to afford it, and then they won't drink the sodas, <laughs> and that'll be good for their health. Yeah. And he just says it. Yeah. And, and of course, and she says, that's great. I'm glad all our fiscal experts are here to hear that. They need to hear that message, and the whole audience applauds. And I want to come back to the International Money Fund, Monetary Fund link and, and, the, and the curious avenues that, that Bloomberg is going through to try and enact this tax on, on sugary beverages. But it's just, I mean, he was the mayor of New York. He uh, administered over a system by a very similar system of regressive taxes on cigarettes, where in, in New York, cigarettes have long been much more expensive. 
expensive than they are in the rest of the country. Uh, I remember seeing them going for you know eight, eight ten dollars a pack in New York City ten years ago, back when they were still under six seven uh, under six dollars a pack here in fairly highly taxed Minnesota. And we all know how that stopped the lower classes in New York City from smoking, don't we? <laughs> Well, we know that it led to a massive black market and uh, trade in in loose cigarettes. And uh, one of the most famous, one of the most famous of the Black Lives Matter cases a few years ago was actually a dispute uh, between the police and a guy who was selling uh, loose cigarettes on the street. They cracked down. They actually killed him on the street. Yeah, corner. Garner. Yeah, for the heinous offense for the heinous offense of selling loose cigarettes to get around the uh, you know the prohibitive taxation of that product. Right. And and by the way, that's something that you never hear about the fact that if you if you tax something. If you put a prohibitive tax on things, there will not may there will be a black market on the subject. I mean, I've read I've read uh, read studies of black marketeering marketeering of cigarettes in Germany, where they they have tried to regulate people's behavior for a generation or two now. And a everyone in Germany still smokes. I mean, it's it's like France over there. People in Germans love their cigarettes. And yeah, they say, give me another pack with like the black lung gigantic picture on the front, or whatever they will require in Europe. That's right. And people just. You puff their way through them and there is a significant black market supplying cigarettes to europeans as there is in america where wherever as we saw in new york city and other jurisdictions that that try to uh, regulate people into compliance like that i mean you you will get a black market you will eventually get people willing to harm people to serve that black market which is why the similar war on drugs has failed so desperately uh so so the, the thing- Bloomberg also wants to ban vaping, which, by the way, has, has got millions of people who couldn't previously quit cigarettes to do something much less health harmful. Oh, but yeah. We're a little off topic from where we started. But, oh. yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I'll tell you one thing about the soda tax context is yes. you know, if you look right on the uh, the city line in Philadelphia, all of the convenience stores outside of city limits have giant signs that say, we do not charge Philadelphia soda tax. That's right. That's right. And, 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 and by the way, we get the same thing here in Minnesota. People drive across uh, the river to Wisconsin or the Dakotas to buy their cigarettes uh, since they, they tacked on a, a, a borderline confiscatory tax, not quite like New York levels, uh, on cigarettes. And you'll see the same thing on soda here when, when this happens in Minnesota because there's nothing metro area politicians in minnesota like more than aping things that they do in chicago and new york now well chicago repealed it after about three weeks it was in effect it was cook county adopted this bloomberg had urged them to do it it passed uh and then there was a massive backlash as soon as people started seeing it there was a massive backlash and bloomberg spent i think 12 million dollars trying to stop them from repealing it in cook county illinois which is (laughs) chicago and the vote on repeal, I think it was in effect less than a month. The vote on repeal in the city council was 15 to 1 to repeal a tax they had just passed a few months earlier. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, so, so then maybe that explains, maybe that gives us the answer to my next question, Phil Kirpin, which is uh, normally if, if somebody wants to, to make an, a, a, a panel attacks like this, they'll do it the way Michael Bloomberg's been trying to uh, institute gun control, going to state legislatures, yeah. lobbying, uh, hiring lobbyists, flooding the zone with with campaign contributions, trying to flip the legislature, doing it badly here in Minnesota, but certainly spending a lot of money to try. Uh, he's taking a little different route with uh, with with the soda tax this time around, rather than going to city councils where he has uh, failed either in the in the uh, city councils, as in Chicago, or in the courts, as in New York. He's going a little higher this time around, Phil Kirpin. 
Yeah, he's going global. He's taking this. Uh, well, by the way, they have had some local successes in the U.S., so we shouldn't discount that. They have places like Philadelphia, Berkeley, True. a few other cities. But his big play, play that he's making right now uh, is actually at the United Nations General Assembly, and he's trying to get them to adopt. There's going to be a debate at, at the U.N. in September on noncommunicable diseases. And their own official World Health Organization, U.N. World Health Organization report, uh, on non-communicable diseases, did not recommend a soda tax. And Bloomberg was so outraged by that <laughs> that he created his own competing panel that, you know, he paid everyone to do it. They're only people who want the tax. And they're going to release their own report on non-communicable diseases. And I, I can almost guarantee that their number one recommendation will be that we need soda taxes. And he's going to take his own uh, bought-and-paid-for report, and he's going to try to get uh, a resolution approved at the U.N. in September that recommends all of the member countries uh, adopt some form of taxation of sugary beverages. And uh, that is, you know, I mean, you could say the U.N. is toothless. Maybe we could just ignore it. But, you know, what's going to happen after that is then we will constantly, in every single fight, state and local, forever here, you know, uh, the best, the, this is best practice, it's recommended, it's been adopted, validated, and inter- it's internationally approved, and, you know, they, they'll just use that as the bludgeon. The media will say that we're the only place that isn't going, you know. And so <laughs> it, will be a, it will be a persistent problem if he succeeds in this. And by the way, the, there are countries that have done this on a national basis. Uh, there, uh, I think that uh, Chile now has an 18% tax on soda, and um, a, a landmark study just came out looking at the health impact of that, the impact that that has on obesity in Chile. It's zero, zero impact on obesity. So, you know, you're paying a dollar eighteen instead of a dollar, but uh, you're not any thinner for it. So you got to wonder, <laughs> how high does the tax have to go before you're actually going to succeed in, in getting people to consume less and, and have an impact on obesity? And, and perhaps just the fact that one of our, our members of the Northern Alliance here is, a, is an economist and a dean of a school of business here in Minnesota. But I have to wonder, has an economist yet ever actually gone through and studied the effect, the, the point at which these consumption taxes actually really significantly affect consumption enough to actually have the effect that they're supposed to try and have? Clearly, it hasn't worked with cigarettes, not working with gasoline. Has there been any study showing that, that and I mean, it's a rhetorical question because I'm, I'm sure there has not. But I'm just wondering, at, at, some, at what point does the tax have to go up to to actually have the effect that they're looking for? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, there are there are a lot of studies that they'll point to. And uh, by the way, you and I and everyone listening paid for a lot of these studies through our tax dollars because the yeah. NIH likes to make lots of pro-soda tax grants. Naturally. Um, and uh, there are a lot of studies that they'll say that these taxes do show reduction in consumption of the of the tax beverages. And so you put a tax on, people will tend to drink less of that. But what they don't show, I, at least I don't think they meaningfully show, is that they actually have an impact on obesity because what tends to happen is people will, that you'll cause some switching to other products on the margin, non-tax products, but they're typically still high-calorie products. Oh, yeah. And so you, you don't really have a, have a positive impact on the outcome that, that you want just on sort of the intermediate thing that you're immediately taxing. You will tend to have some reduction in consumption. I mean, one of the most amazing facts to me about Philadelphia, uh, the Tax Foundation figured this out when they did a calculation, uh, the price of a 12-ounce beer is now lower than the price of a 12-ounce soft drink in the city of Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt it. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's heading the same way here in Minneapolis. Minneapolis will soon follow. I'm absolutely positive. Phil Kirpin, can we keep you for another segment because there's some, there's some fascinating offshoots of this whole thing that I think are, I'd love to get into if we could here. 
Sure, happy to. Uh, probably, uh, my pleasure. We're talking with Phil Kirpin from the American Commitment on uh, Michael Bloomberg's Soda Tax. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call, 651-289-4488. We're also monitoring the conversation on Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's N-A-R-N Show. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. I'm Jan Markell, helping you understand the times. The clearest sign we're in the last days is the magnitude of deception in the church among born-again Christians. Nothing has ever happened like it in modern history. Jesus said the last days would be like the days of Noah, where people were totally engaged in their lives and unaware that their time was short. Today, people have little to no time for God. Rather, they are consumed with the fulfillment of living a better life. Jesus said he would return like a thief in the night, and if people are asleep spiritually, they will be no different than the people in Noah's day. The Bible warns us to watch and pray so that we are not caught unaware, but always preparing for His return by staying in close proximity to His Word. The Bible tells us as we begin to see the signs of His return to look up for our redemption is drawing close. For more information, listen to our weekend program on this station or anytime at olivetreeviews.org. Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text while driving. If you've been in business more than 20 minutes, you've probably printed your logo on all kinds of promotional products. We all know logos work because they're on everything from the top of skyscrapers to the bottom of shoes. Ever wondered why or how to best use your logo to grow your business? Let us show you today for free. We're 4imprint, promotional product experts at your service. We're giving away the latest issue of Amplify, the digital magazine that reveals promotional product success stories absolutely free to everyone who texts WOW11 to 88988. At 4imprint, we make your logo look perfect on thousands of promotional items. With our 100% guarantee, it'll be right the first time, on time, every time. Your free e-magazine will reveal invaluable insights that can attract new customers, build your brand, and grow your business. Get the latest issue of Amplify absolutely free by texting WOW11 to 88988. That's WOW11 to 88988. So you've been exploring solutions for your hair loss. You've seen ads from the national chains. You've researched the alternative products that cost a fortune, but there seem to be no guarantees. So here's good news for you. This is Dennis Prager. Go to INeedMoreHair.com and see what their hair transplant specialists are doing for men and women like you. The consultations are free. Their doctors have given patients in Hollywood and worldwide a full head of hair. They can do the same for you. You'll see a more confident reflection of yourself. In fact, they guarantee your results in writing, and their prices are some of the best in the business, as low as $3 per graft. So stop searching and go to INeedMoreHair.com. You have nothing to lose. Call their office in Egan for your free consultation. I need morehair.com. Experience you can trust, prices you can afford. Get the permanent solution to your hair loss at I need morehair.com. AM twelve eighty the Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot, Mitch Burke here, talking about Michael Bloomberg's plan to globally assault 
Big Soda with us from American Commitment is Phil uh, Kirpin to discuss this. Uh, Phil, now it's in a sense it's the ultimate first world problem. I mean, we have we live at the first time in human history where obesity is a bigger problem than malnutrition. And so perhaps it's a good sign that we, we've gotten to the point where uh, busybody billionaires like Michael Bloomberg can focus on things like pop instead of, I don't know, starvation or epidemics or, or, or civil wars around the world. People are too fat for their own good. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the good news, Phil Kirpin. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of interesting to contrast it with, say, you know, Bill Gates' philanthropic, philanthropic focus, which has been malaria eradication. Yes. And he's trying to fight, like, actual diseases. And, you know, right. then you got Bloomberg, who's, you know, I, I want to be, like, the nanny to the world, essentially. Yeah. So, and, 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 and by the way, I should, in the interest of full disclosure, I... I, I I I will I will never drink pop again at least sugar pop again in my life. I gave up sugar and starch and most of your carbohydrates three four months ago. I've lost like forty six pounds in four months. So I'm with it as far as people voluntarily cutting back or giving up on the processed sugar. It can be a wonderful thing for you, no doubt it about it. But well, you know the uh, most of the places they've done these taxes, they also tax diet though, even though it has no sugar, which is kind of amazing <laughs> to me because you know they they, yes. they do all these studies. Sugar is killing everyone sugary beverages and need to get off of the uh, caloric beverages. And then when they're actually writing the uh, tax bills, they always seem to include the non-caloric beverages also. It's kind of interesting how, yeah. how that happens. It, it makes you wonder if maybe they just want the money more than anything else. Or, or it, it, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it might make you suggest that as an idea. Or just the idea, and this is the first thing I always have to think in Minnesota, is that they're, the, the powers that be hate the idea of you taking some simple pleasure in life so badly that they'll 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 be, be across the board about it for example the taxes and the and the regulation of vaping which hits close to my family i've had a number of family members quit smoking using vapor uh, using inhalers and uh, it's been a wonderful thing but the idea that you're getting some sort of illicit pleasure seems to set some of these big nanny staters off they just can't stand to see people enjoying themselves for the love of yeah. Christ. Well, you know, the, the Obama FDA was set to ban about 90% of the vapor products that are presently on the market, and that's now been stopped by the Trump FDA. But, I mean, think about the impact that that would have had for people who had quit by switching. <laughs> A lot of them would have gone back to cigarettes. And oh, died. yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that Obama regulatory stance at the FDA would have killed people. Uh, which makes you wonder about the people who push these things, claiming to be, you know, um, we're doing this for public health, we want to fight against tobacco, but we're going to regulate out of existence the alternative products that have worked for so many people. So it's a very bizarre mindset. You know, they, they think they know better than everyone and will tell everyone what to do, even if doing so will actually harm the people that they, they claim to be trying to help. It's it's actually quite remarkable. And, you know, the um, I'm reminded, I, I just remembered, you know, in in – in Illinois, there was one of the Cook County uh, council members that voted for the soda tax, you know, before they repealed it when everyone went crazy, uh, <laughs> who said they had to include diet. This was a black member of the uh, city council in Chicago who said that uh, they had to include diet because if they excluded diet, it would be racist because it's the uh, black constituents who drink the regular. <laughs> I had not heard. I thought I'd heard everything about these. That, that's the. I have to find that. That's 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 hilarious. Uh, I don't think he exactly said it. I mean, he said it's my people who drink the red or something like. That. I mean, it was right. a little bit. It was a little bit euphemized, but you could figure out. Uh, you know. it, the, it's the thought that counts. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the thing about uh, Bloomberg's, uh, of course, a plutocrat. Michael Bloomberg's push here is that he is, as you mentioned earlier, promoting a very regressive tax. It, it affects the poor 
more drastically than it affects the wealthy. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things that will place like most of these vice taxes, like like taxes on cigarettes. Gasoline is not so much a vice; it's an essential of life these days. Uh, but but vice taxes almost always hit the poor much much harder to an extent that the do-gooders never really either know or bother to assess before they, they, they come up with proposals like this. Or they say that's a good thing because, you know, when they can't afford it, then they will uh, conform their behavior to what we want them to do. That's right. Uh, Oh, absolutely. After the Dayton administration came in, they passed a raft of, of various vice taxes, increased the cigarette tax. And, of course, as as is de rigueur for these sorts of things, claimed that uh, they had cut taxes on the middle class and increased taxes on the wealthy and the, the usual target. Well, Obama did the same thing nationally. Remember, he campaigned about a million times. If you make less than a quarter of a million, we won't increase your taxes. And he signed a <laughs> That's right. cigarette tax like, I think, a week on the job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and then you looked at, at the relative rates of tax increase by income decile, in other words, by each tenth of the percentage of the of, of income population white yeah the, on the top five ten percent it, it it did increase but the biggest increases were on the on the on the people who had the lowest ten percent of incomes almost entirely due to vice taxes I mean cigarette taxes alone uh, and gas taxes kicked up the rel- the rel- level of taxation as a percentage of income for the ten poorest percent of Americans more than anything and this is just going to pile more burden on the people who can literally afford it the least in this country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It's even worse when you start doing this stuff internationally, when you start taking this push to the United Nations. Because you, if you want to think about, you know, how it's hitting poor people in the U.S. hard when we have these types of taxes, well, uh, think about the world's poor. People who are living on a dollar or two a day in some place, you're going to tax their, you know, if they buy a soda, but, you know, maybe they're doing it a couple times a year. It's a, they're, like, you know, a luxury, a, a special occasion. They go and they buy a soft drink. You're going to whack them with a tax for that? Yeah, and, and so it's just... <sighs> The question I have to ask, in these third world countries that still have third world as opposed to first world problems like Michael Bloomberg tries to solve, is there, you see any, are you seeing any traction for this sort of thing in, in, in these third world countries where life is so much more of, at a subsistence level? I can see countries like Denmark or the Netherlands or Sweden going whole hog for something like this. I mean, they, they sort of invented the concept. Uh, I could totally see Europe biting on this. Uh, the Germans, I think, already have, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. As you mentioned, Chile, uh, which is sort of the, the, the Belgium of South America, they've already done it. But but But... When you get into countries like Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, outside Chile, which is at least close to being a first world country, are you seeing some traction for this based on the nudging of the United Nations outside of the first world prosperity uh, belt? Uh, you know, not, not a lot that I've seen, although I haven't, uh, I haven't studied necessarily all these countries closely enough, so there could be a few that I don't know about. But I do think, you know, if, if Bloomberg succeeds and gets a resolution passed at the U.N. this fall, uh, that'll lead to all kinds of places all over the world adopting it, even where it's completely inappropriate, because what'll happen is politicians that are looking for a way to grab money out of people's pockets will say, here's one that's been approved internationally to be good for people, to improve their health. Uh, so that one's an easy sell. Let's, let's do that. So, so Phil Kirpin, we've got about a minute and a half remaining here. 
uh, one of the reasons I have to suspect that, that Bloomberg has taken his appeal to the United Nations is, of course, it's not, it's not an elective body. It's appointed by the world's bureaucrats uh, and, and dictators and, if you're lucky, elected presidents. Uh, it's, it's an entirely bureaucratic institution. It has no accountability to any voters or really barely any governments nationwide. Uh, how can Americans fight back against an initiative that's being taken that's taken place in a, in a place that does not answer to any voters or anyone else phil kirpin well i think uh i think we just discredit it i think we make sure that people know what's happening and uh, we we try to embarrass bloomberg a little bit and embarrass you know that his democratic allies remember this is a guy who's pledged 80 million dollars to democratic candidates for political office in this country this year you know they should have to explain uh why they're taking all this money and do they agree with him on these key policies do they think that everyone in the world who drinks a soda ought to be taxed for that and you know i think that we've got to uh we've got to kind of push back against what he's doing and make it uh you know attach the negative consequences to him and to the people he supports and so i thought it was great when drudge put that video up because <laughs> you know him saying it in his own words is going to offend way more people than than you and i talking about it though. i am going to have to dig that video out and, and post it front and center on the blog next week because of course i mean i mean I, I i'm not exaggerating when i say whatever uh michael bloomberg uh pushes for the government of Minneapolis, the Minneapolis City Council and our mayor. Yeah, they're probably listening. Yeah, they're probably, they're probably taking grant money from him or whatever. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Phil Kirpin, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, discrediting Bloomberg, of course, has become a cottage industry because he's been pouring money into the anti-gun movement in the state uh, to the tune of $10 for every dollar the good guys come up with, and we still smack him around like a... I'm like sure a, he's going to spend big in all your federal races this year, too. Oh, he has... If he didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's uh, he's he's pelting him with uh, with with stacks of Jacksons here, and uh, with a little luck, we'll humiliate him there as well. But uh, the battle still goes on. Phil Kirpin from the American Commitment. Thanks for coming on the broadcast with us again today. All right, all right, Mitch. Have a good one. You too. Thanks a lot, Phil Kirpin from the American Commitment. Uh, boy, there's there's so much that a good thinking conservative needs to do in terms of smacking around Michael Bloomberg's entire agenda. The the options are. You take your pick. If, if one subject doesn't grab you, there's two or three others just lined up waiting for your attention. We'll be talking about that as we go forward here. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. Go nowhere. The show is only three quarters over, which means the fun is still 100% ahead of you. Pat Boone here again, and I assure you, I have never before endorsed a pain relief product. Not until now. Not until Relief Factor came along as a 100% drug-free solution for people struggling with ordinary pain. Quite simply, Relief Factor was designed by doctors to help relieve those occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, and everyday living. Let me ask you, are aches and pains keeping you from sleeping through the night? or keeping you from taking those nice long walks or playing golf or tennis. You can't really call it living if you can't get around comfortably. The three-week quick start from Relief Factor may be all you need to lower or even eliminate these pains. A whole lot of people have already gone to relieffactor.com and here's something you need to know. The majority of people who order the three-week quick start, now only $19.95, go on to order more. Let's see if we can get you out of pain too. Go to relieffactor.com. It's time for the Narn Report. 
The GOP gubernatorial race is a battle between the endorsed candidate, Jeff Johnson, and former Governor Tim Pawlenty, who snubbed the endorsement and went straight to the primary. Now, I'm a GOP district officer, so you can guess who I'm supporting in the primary. But I've heard of a disturbing number of Republicans saying they're going to skip the election if Jeff Johnson doesn't win the primary. I get it. It's true. The primary is a battle for the Republican Party, and Republicans should fight that battle hard. But after that, the election is the battle for the state. I urge all conservatives to remember William F. Buckley's 11th commandment. Always vote for the most conservative candidate who can win. The simple fact is either Jeff Johnson or Tim Pawlenty will make a much, much better governor than any of the three extremists in the DFL race. Let's keep our focus here. Join the conversation Saturday and Sunday afternoons from 1 to 3 here on AM 1280, The Patriot. Consider Montessori, an educational model that is founded on the premise that all children are natural learners with curiosity. Hand-in-hand Christian Montessori specializes in one-to-one learning instead of one-size-fits-all. Montessori activities work with children's hands and minds at the precise, critical period of a child's development. I'm learning to be a leader by helping younger students in my classroom. Learning is so much better when it's hands-on. At Hand in Hand, I get to make my own choices. Schedule a tour now at Hand in Hand Christian Montessori, where preschool, elementary, junior high, private school, homeschool students love, learn, and lead. Call 651-784-7988 or go to hihcm.org. AM 1280, The Patriot. 651-289-4488. The number to call should you care to join me. And I encourage you to do so. Because this is a talk show, not a listen show. Although I'm happy to have you listening. Especially on a gorgeous day like today. Hey, don't forget... Americans for Prosperity coming up at 4 o'clock today with David Barnes and Sarah Field talking about the Kavanaugh nomination, home health care workers, the union skim, Medicaid rulemaking. Also, don't forget the Justice Hour with Andrew Parker tomorrow at 4 with Morgan Bierman from the General Consul of Israel to the Mid-Atlantic region talking about the current situation in Israel. And don't forget Education Nation, brand new tonight at 6 o'clock. Love sticks. Boy, does it ever. What's he talking about? No, I don't. Apropos nothing. Education Nation tonight, 6 o'clock. Brand new show. Moved here from a uh, from another station that uh, didn't deserve them. They're here now. And uh, starting at 6 o'clock every Saturday night, uh, we'll be here. We just had Rebecca Hagstrom on, and that, I'm looking forward to welcoming them to the... Uh, well, I just did welcome to the AM1280, the Patriot family. So make sure you tune in for that. You know, if you've been listening to me for the last, I don't know, year and a half, really, ever since the morning after the election that uh, resulted in Donald Trump's win, uh, that if there is anybody in this country for whom I have no sympathy, it's 
Not people who didn't vote for Donald Trump. I get it. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I voted for Scott Walker. I wrote him in. I am a Trump skeptic. I'm happy with his performance so far. I think he's outkicked his cover. Or see, certainly he outkicked his expectations, my expectations of him, I should say, on a number of issues, including the Supreme Court, most foreign policy issues, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's been a much better president than I've expected since I expected nothing. And that's a good thing. It's better to be surprised pleasantly than unpleasantly. But uh, there's uh, people who opposed, who are skeptics of Trump, who even voted against him, okay, that's fine. It's a free country. You get your vote. You can vote your conscience. I may disagree with your conscience, but I'll defend to the death your freedom to have it. Uh, but if there's anybody out there that I would like to rhetorically, I say it rhetorically, pelt with rocks and garbage, not literally, rhetorically pelt with rhetorical rocks and metaphorical garbage. It's people who call themselves hashtag the resistance. You know the ones I'm talking about, uh, Terminator N. The worst people. The worst people. The people who call themselves the resistance to Donald Trump as they go from their Pilates class to pick up their latte at Starbucks. Not to stereotype much, but I am stereotyping much. And well, the thing about stereotypes is they're true often enough to make them stereotypes. Am I right, Terminator? If the Ed? shoe fits, it, you know. That's right. In the immortal words of Ice Cube, if the shoe fits, wear it. Absolutely. Uh, words of wisdom from our gangster rap community on the subject here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Terminator N. Uh, the, the people who call themselves the resistance, I, and I have vented on these people before. Uh, and I will vent on them, no doubt, much more as we head up to the next round of elections here, midterms and the next presidential election in 2020. People who call themselves the resistance, especially over this next couple of weeks, as we uh, come up on the 74th anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising, which for those of you who don't know your history, it's when the real resistance, people who fought back against Nazis for five years with little or no hope of rescue, uh, little or no hope of help, Little or no assistance from anywhere, anywhere in the world, because they're in the middle of flipping Poland, uh, rose up and fought back and ejected the Nazis from large parts of the city of Warsaw, the capital of Poland, which had been occupied brutally for half a decade. And I mean, I mean, with expectations of nothing but a violent death, they, they fought back. And they seized a good chunk of the city with the hope, finally, after five years, that the Soviets coming across uh, the Vistula River uh, would come to their rescue. Well, of course, being not communists, uh, Joseph Stalin had no interest in keeping them alive. So he gave uh, the, the Soviet army a stop order uh, on the east bank of the river and let the Nazis uh, extinguish the uprising. And did further allowing Polish troops in exile in the Soviet army to try and cross the river um, into a hail of gunfire, killing off an awful lot of Poles who might have gone on to be anti-communist fighters in the future. Uh, so killing thousands of birds with one stone. Uh, communists, of course, are nothing if not ruthlessly pragmatic. But this is the real resistance. People who resisted real tyranny, not Donald Trump, not literally Hitler, but the real Hitler, uh, at, at the, at the potential cost of their lives, not just their, their, their spare time, not just their peace of mind, not just their trigger warnings, but their lives and their families' lives. That's resistance, folks. And most of you know this. If you're listening to this broadcast, 
you know this, but I've got liberal friends who still harbor teenage romantic notions about them standing up against the power and fighting against the tyranny of the elected Trump administration and like to romanticize themselves a bit. And that's it's understandable. I mean, the Northern Alliance Radio Network did the same thing to some extent. Well, actually, Hugh Hewitt called us that. So that's not entirely on us. But, you know, fighting back against the bad guys, everyone likes to think that they're the good guys. Uh, our hashtag resistance are not the good guys. They are the bad guys in this in our society right now. I mean, especially the ones who take it to the point of yapping about or committing violence, which is happening more and more out there. But when I look at, I, I, when I look at, of course, it's seeing Donald Trump going overseas uh, and being quote resisted hashtag by Europeans like the the, the yabos in London who are yapping about him uh, over this past couple of days here, uh, and seeing the debate that's happened over NATO, which we talked about a bit last week, I'm reminded of people for whom resistance is not an abstract concept or uh, something you play at as you're going from the gym to your job at a nonprofit, uh, like it is for so many people here in Minnesota who voted for Hillary Clinton and call themselves a resistance today. I'm talking about people who have tyranny in their recent past, the people of uh, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and especially the company, uh, company, country of Estonia, which many of you might have a hard time finding on a map. It's one of the three little countries along the shores of the Baltic Sea, uh, northeast of Poland, west of Russia, on just sort of directly across the Karelian Gulf from Finland. And there are three little countries that most people have never heard of, although there's a sizable Latvian community in northeast Minneapolis, or there was, and they're still there, and uh, plenty of Lithuanians, even a few Estonians here in the Twin Cities. Uh, these are countries that seized their freedom from Russia for a brief stretch of the early 20th century, from about 1918 at the end of World War I through 1940, when they were invaded by the Soviets, even before World War II started. About the same time, the Soviets were trying to invade Finland and getting bloodily repulsed by the Finns, who clobbered the Russians uh, during the Winter War of 1940. Uh, the Latvians, Lithuanians, and Estonians were not as lucky, not as well-prepared, not as equipped to deal with uh, the largest army in the world coming across their borders. And so the people of these Baltic states, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, uh, lived essentially in slavery for the next 50 years uh, to one tyrant or another because the Soviets were booted out of the Baltic countries by the Germans, at the beginning of World War II, I mean, the, the Soviet holdings in those countries evaporated fast uh, with the Nazi invasion. And then when the Soviets came back at the, towards the end of the war and, and on their drive back to Germany, they, they retook the three Baltic republics and held on to them and held on to them until 1991. And I'd like to think about this because especially in Estonia, a country with a fierce sense of national and cultural pride. There were people, parts of Estonian society, who lived in the woods that cover just about half of that country for that entire 50 years, 40 years, from the end of World War 45 years, from the end of World War II, 
until the, the, the expulsion of the Soviets in 1992. There were people who lived in the woods with World War II-era rifles tucked away, waiting for their chance to strike back at the Soviets against the real tyrants. Yeah, even more tyrannical than Donald Trump. And they have carried this tradition forward in their government uh, today. The government that formed in 1994 formed with an idea that, that should be familiar to every American. Actually, it's been an interesting thing to, to study. Because as a, as, a, as a Second Amendment advocate, I am keenly aware that the Second Amendment was specifically designed to give Americans the ability to rebel against and depose a government that turned tyrannical. And we like to think that it's uniquely American, but at the same time endowed to all humans by their God, our God, our creator, whichever creator you believe in. And we like to think that we in America are fairly unique in recognizing and upholding this, and may it ever remain thus. And if you're not a member of the NRA or the Gun Owners Caucus, you should be to help it keep that way. But it's interesting to note that two countries in Europe with recent experience uh, in dealing with tyranny, have had, if not a Second Amendment, at least a, a very uh, primal urge to make sure that people know that they are free to rebel. The Danes, after World War II, made up an entire part of their military out of units that were descended from the Danish resistance and specifically told them, no, whenever you get an order to surrender, as the Danish government did in 1940, your job and mission is to ignore it. A similar commandment exists in the Norwegian military, by the way. Uh, and that, that commandment has faded in recent years as Denmark has become more and more used to being peaceful and to the end of the Cold War. To the Estonians, the Cold War still is, is in full, uh, going on at full blast. They're a very successful country, one of the wealthiest countries in Eastern Europe. But they appreciate their freedom and they have spent the last uh, 20 years building a society where every Estonian knows that should the Russians come back across that border, it is their job to participate in the resistance, whether by picking up a gun or whether by taking, up, uh, taking care of the family of someone who has or just generally making life miserable for the, for the Russians should they decide to come back and, and take Estonia for the third time. I wrote an article about this on my blog. It's a piece entitled Being Necessary to the Security of a Free State. Yes, the illusion was intended. Uh, I'd love to have you read it. I'd love to have you show it to some of your liberal friends. I'd love to have you note what they think about it. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. Telling stories of real resistance. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. AM 1280, The Patriot. Wealthy, middle class, or business owners, you're on your financial journey, but with an emergency break on. That break is debt, and it's just going to get worse with a new tax law. You see, 60% of taxpayers who used the home interest deduction in 2017 will effectively not be able to do so in 2018. Think about that. Daniel Altwick with Your Family Bank here. 
We've provided a solution to this debt dilemma for over 20 years. Using it, you could cut the length of your debt, including your mortgage, in half and save tens of thousands of dollars. It works, and we can prove it to you. Our solution is not debt consolidation. Get your free ebook and analysis. Daniel.yourfamilybank.org. Be bold. Take action. Daniel.yourfamilybank.org. Daniel.yourfamilybank.org. God bless you, the patriot, and God bless America. Policies issued by American General Life Insurance Company, Houston, Texas. Not available in all states. For details, visit AIGdirect.com. It takes a lot of courage to face your own death, but I'm glad I finally did. See, I was putting off getting life insurance to protect my family, even though I knew it was important. Then my neighbor's husband died. I watched her struggle emotionally and financially. It really made me face reality. If my husband died, how would I pay the mortgage, the car payments, or keep up the life the kids and I had? I realized I needed to get us life insurance right away. So I called AIG Direct. In less than five minutes, I had a quote. I was shocked at how affordable it is. Just $14 a month for $250,000 of term life coverage. I feel so much better knowing my family has protection. Call AIG Direct right now for a free no-obligation quote. The call takes less than five minutes, and you can save up to 70%. Call now, 1-800-458-3263. That's 1-800-458-3263. 1-800-458-3263. Life is expensive. Having a second income now and through retirement will allow you to live life the way you want and avoid being married to your job. In just a few hours a week, you can learn the skills to profit from trading and investing by using our proven rules-based strategy at Online Trading Academy. We focus on low-risk, high-reward trades that mirror the tools Wall Street uses to make that second income so you never outlive your retirement dollars while providing you life's most precious asset, time. Let's get you on a path to financial freedom, allowing you to live the life you've always dreamed of. Call OTA at pound 250 on your cell phone for a free investing workshop or register at learnwithota.com. Again, that's learnwithota.com. Online Trading Academy. Radio! AM 1280, The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. 651. 2894488 289-4488. By the way, and over the I will uh, thank Brad Carlson in advance to steal her for coming in uh, filling in she for me next week when I'm off on assignment. More about that when I come back in two weeks. When the a crowd came. It's going to be a fun week, I'll tell you that. For all of us. I'm not having a fun fun time out on assignment. And Brad Brad will, as always, have fun working the Saturday crowd here. So we were talking with Phil Kirpin about Michael Bloomberg and his nanny status proposal to uh, uh, crank up the tax on beverages on soft drinks and it's not just sugar he'll be taxing the diet stuff too and and of course people will inevitably uh get around the tax either by going to the black market or picking something else making making 
iced tea with 12 scoops of sugar in it instead of one. Uh, people want their addictions. That's what they, make no mistake about it. Sugar is addictive. Uh, I've given it up in the past. I've given, I haven't actually not had a single grain of table sugar in almost four months now, which, uh, not that I was a big sugar eater before, but I've also given up the potatoes, the rice, the, uh, popcorn. That's the tough one. Terminator N. The salt. So, uh, there's a little bit of salt involved. Yeah. Salt's not a carbohydrate, so okay. I can I can still have it. Although I'm trying to keep that down because uh, you know, it's, the last thing I need is to crank my blood pressure up. Although I will point out the fact that my blood pressure dropped 20 points since I started doing this. So very uh, impressive. Sugars to, and everything. So the fact that you're avoiding that is pretty impressive. It, it takes some doing. Thank you very much. Yeah, it takes some doing. I wound up reading a lot of labels, and anyway, which is not a bad idea anyway. And uh, believe me, I, I'm. If you're interested in learning more, uh, have your people call my people. I'll certainly tell you about it. But Michael Bloomberg did one good thing. When he was the putatively Republican mayor of New York, he continued Rudy Giuliani's legacy of, of, of fighting lifestyle crimes. And he did it by means that would horrify libertarians, did horrify libertarians at the time. I mean, he was, he was a classic East Coast liberal mayor, not afraid to turn the police loose on problems. And he, he did it using stop and frisk and the, the blo- broken windows, uh, style policing, looking for people violating small crimes to deter them from carrying out big crimes. And it worked. New York went from being one of the most dangerous cities anywhere. Every bit is, no, more dangerous than Chicago is today in the 1970s to being not a whole lot more dangerous than St. Paul by the, by about 2000. Uh, Rudy Giuliani had a disproportionate role in that as someone who had, uh, the, the guts to break out of New York's inertia and actually get and make it happen. And Michael Bloomberg, to his credit, and I don't give him much credit, but I'll give him this, he carried those policies on, and it worked. It worked to the extent that when I first went to New York in 1988, Times Square was still kind of a, kind of a seedy rat hole. And when I went there again 10 years ago, last April, uh, for my stepson's wedding, uh, it was nice enough to take my kids, at that time teenagers, out there at the, in the middle of the night in Times Square. Something I never thought would have been possible 20 years before that, when I was in my 20s and and hanging around the place. Anyway, Bill de Blasio has repudiated a lot of those policies, and it's starting to show. And you can see where that leads in looking at San Francisco, a place where progressivism has, in its worst form, has couple decades of head start over New York City uh, has caught up with where New York City was in the 70s. And and while de Blasio is doing his, his best to backtrack all of the advances of the Giuliani and Bloomberg years, at least in terms of street crime and habitability and lifestyle, uh, they've, got, they've got a long way to go to catch San Francisco. Uh, because San Francisco is gone exactly where New York is following and where Minneapolis is trying its best to follow a hideously expensive city with a plummeting quality of life. Uh, an article came out this past week in uh, New York post of all places, uh, pointing out the fact that beautiful hilly San Francisco has become known as the city where 20 pounds of, <clears throat> and this is in the article, 20 pounds of poo were dumped on a sidewalk last week in a clear bag and remained there for hours. As the post noted, Human 
waste-related complaints in San Francisco have skyrocketed 400% from 2008 to 2018. In 2017 alone, more than 21,000 reports were received. What happened in San Francisco is obvious. It stopped prosecuting quality-of-life offenses, and unsurprisingly, the quality of life for the city's residents and visitors has decreased sharply. In 2015, San Francisco courts stopped enforcing bench warrants for such offenses. Police continued writing up tickets for things like public drunkenness or sleeping in the park, but when the accused failed to show up for their court appearance, a judge simply dismissed the outstanding warrant. Didn't want to bother. New York started following San Francisco's lead in 2016 when Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance Jr., son of one of the worst secretaries of state we had until Hillary Clinton, uh, announced his office would no longer be prosecuting offenses such as public... urination. Both cities have accepted that they'll continue to have a large number of people living on their streets and inevitably using their sidewalks as a toilet. Now, I bring this up not to, well, read a scatological story on the radio. Goodness knows we don't need that. But all I'm saying is where San Francisco has been going for decades, New York is following. And as usual, where New York is following, Minneapolis will soon follow. Because What was the Star Tribune complaining about last year? Oh, yeah. This Minneapolis police and the difficulty they're having prosecuting what? Lifestyle crimes in downtown Minneapolis. Quality of life crimes, I should say. Quality of life like people bellowing in the street, like petty crime, like public urination, like the little sorts of things that that keep your city from turning into, well, San Francisco. Or New York in the 1970s. (sighs) You get the government you deserved, and then you get, as Ed Koch said, (laughs) the consequences. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you all. God bless America. Patriot listeners, save up to 25% on your business cleaning services. Are you thinking of changing your cleaning company? Are you looking for cleaner bathrooms, dust-free windowsills, and a higher level of quality control? Hi, I'm Jessica Carter, owner of CTC Professionals. We specialize in cleaning car dealerships and office buildings throughout the Twin Cities metro area. You'll get high-quality service when you choose us as your cleaning service provider. Call us at 651-404-0132 or visit our website at affordablebusinesscleaning.com. As a bonus to Patriot listeners... You'll get your first initial cleaning at no cost and up to 25% off your first full month of service. We will work hard to make your facility as clean as possible without breaking your budget. So call us today at 651-404-0132. That's 651-404-0132. Or visit our website at affordablebusinesscleaning.com. I was nine weeks along and didn't know what else to do. I felt helpless, and I didn't want to leave it up to her, but I didn't know what to do or say. I didn't know there were other options available. I didn't know it was a baby with a beating heart at 18 days. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America, the Billboard People. So often we get calls just like this from men and women seeking help and alternatives. Our 800 hotline connects callers to the services they need for pregnancy, adoption, as well as post-abortion assistance. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of confidential counseling or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or check us out on the web, Pro-Life Across America. 
ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. ProLife Across America is educational, non-political, and tax-deductible. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. ProLife Across America, TwinCitiesTuitions.com has been helping families for over seven years get into the school of their dreams. We have placed over 90 kids into private education, including Stacy's son. I have to say that this was an answer to prayer. This program made it possible for my son to transition into ninth grade into a wonderful school. Dealing with the station, particularly Alyssa, has been such a blessing. Education is one of the most important decisions that you can make as a parent. The difference that I've seen in in my son in a Christian education is a confidence that can only come from Jesus Christ. He stands firm in the truth. He knows what he believes, and he's going to know that that Jesus is the answer. Don't pay more than you need to for your child's first year of private school. Call me, Alyssa Brecken, at 651-289-4406, or visit our website, at TwinCitiesTuitions.com. AM 1280, The Patriot, is WWTC, Minneapolis, St. Paul. FM 107.5, K298CO, Minneapolis. Fueled by Lucky.